Hey, so uh, we're going to do something a little awkward, something unannounced. So, so we're just going to roll with it, yeah? Oh, maybe not happy. We're going to mess with the lights a little bit, trying to get them to actually function. That one works. I'm going to get me a tan. Um, the walkers, why don't you guys come on up? I'm going to have you stand right here. Do something a little different. And this is the part that I didn't announce. So if you are an elder with us, a staff member with us, you and your spouses, if you would do me a favor and come on up here with the walkers, and then one more group. If you are a veteran, if you are a veteran, would you, and, and grab your spouse if you don't want to come alone, would you please come on up and, and surround the walkers? Just, just come on up. So elders, your wife, your spouses, staff, your spouses, and veterans, and if you can drag your spouses with you, you get bonus points. <laughs> So this is something a little different for us. Um, we, we, where our church is located isn't necessarily prime location to have those who are actively serving in the military be a part of our church family, but Joshua is an active participant in our military. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> And Joshua and Jennifer and the kids have been here for about three years now, which is crazy that three years has come so stinking fast. And this week, this week they start the journey out west as they're being transferred to Arizona. Um, it's a unique life to be in the military, isn't it? Veterans? We are thankful because a very real opportunity for the walkers when they came to the church was to just kind of blend into the background. They did not. They oozed their love and passion for Jesus Christ and their love for the local church, and they become family. And it stinks to watch them go. And Arizona's too hot, so. So, <laughs> so what we want to do as they get ready to go, and also, I'll say this here, they're not here in this service, they'll be in the second service, but Chris and Mary Hill are in the exact same situation. Uh, they'll be moving towards the Midwest. <laughs> um, I won't make jokes because they're not here. Um, uh, in the next week or two as well. So we, we celebrate the fact that we have had the opportunity to grow in relationship with the walkers, but also that we've been loved so well by them. And now, as their church family... I want to surround them with our prayers as they go. So why don't you guys come on and just, just surround them. You're not in a chorus line. I love you all. I don't know that I want to hear you sing any more than I want to hear myself sing. So. so this serves as your notification. As we leave today, make sure that they don't go home right away. Love on them. Pray for them. Why don't we, where we are here in our crowd here, just where we are, why don't we bow our heads and let's, let's pray out loud for the walkers. I will close us in prayer in just about a minute. Let's, let's pray for the walker family.
Father, thank you for Joshua. Thank you, Jennifer. Thanks for the girls, the guys, as I, I know they're already uh, on the road and out. But, but Lord, we are grateful for this family. We thank you for the calling that is theirs and has been many who are standing here. It's been theirs as well to serve this country in the military. Father, would you guide them, protect them, watch over them. Father, I pray you would remind them not just of of how grateful we are, but how proud you are of them for listening to your call. I pray that as they go, that the move would be smooth, there wouldn't be any hiccups along the way, and then just as you called Abram and Sarah out of Ur and then protected them, I pray, Father, you would protect this dear family as they travel, as they settle, and then, Lord, I pray you would give the, uh, another church family the same blessing that we have had in seeing them plug in, serve, love on those people, and, and ooze Jesus. Lord, continue to watch over them. We are so grateful for them. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to know and love them. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. They're going to kibitz a little bit on the way, I'm sure. <laughs> Love you guys. Thank you, everybody, for letting me spring that surprise on you. I, I am grateful that they're here. One of the things that I have learned through this experience is I am grateful that we are not uh, a, a huge military church family. This is why they leave. I can't do this much more. So, whew. It's a bittersweet thing, isn't it? Pray for him. Make sure you pray for him. Let's go to Genesis this morning, chapter 16. <laughs> um, talk about difficulty. We're going to jump into a very difficult story together this morning. Genesis chapter 16. It's a story of a young woman named Hagar. Um, and it's hard to read. When you read through the story of Hagar, what you find is, is almost you're reeling when you see how she is treated, treated by people who are supposed to be children of God. So as we read the story, the story kind of makes two things clear. There's a minor point that I want to make here at the onset, and then there's the major point of the story. The minor point that I think this reminds us of this morning is, is what the Bible is really about, what Christianity is really about. I think for, for too many people outside of Christendom, outside of Christianity, outside of the church, they, they think the, the Bible is about the heroes of the faith. So they pick up the Bible and they read through these amazing men and women of, that are inscripturated here and how they behaved and how they acted and they are aghast because they can't believe that these heroes of the faith would demean women, condone slavery, murder, adultery, uh, 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 polygamy, all of these different things would enter in and they look at the Bible and, and they're like, whoa, you know, you Christians are so backwards. But the story of scripture is not about moral training. The story of scripture is the story of good news. It's the story that God's grace 
is dumped out in the lives of people who don't deserve it, who aren't seeking it, who keep resisting it, and then don't appreciate it when it saves them from their sin. The picture of the gospel is even the best people that God chooses are moral and spiritual failures. So be encouraged. We are one of those. <laughs> the reminder as we go through the story, the reminder as we go through the Bible, the story completely is packed into the fact that God rewards undeserving people with grace. And today, the main point of our story is kind of an application sort of off that, and it's this. God hears, God sees, and God acts on behalf of outsiders, castaways, and those who feel invisible. God hears, God sees, and God acts on behalf of the outcasts, the castaways, and those who feel invisible. Look at chapter 16, starting in verse 1. It says this. Abram's wife, Sarai, had not borne any children for him, but she owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Sarai said to Abram, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave, and perhaps through her I can build a family. And Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar, her Egyptian slave, and gave her to her husband Abram as a wife for him. This happened after Abram had lived in the land of Canaan for ten years. He slept with Hagar. She became pregnant. And when she saw that she was pregnant, her mistress became contemptible to her. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for my suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and when she saw that she was pregnant, I became contemptible to her. May the Lord judge between me and you. Abram replied to Sarai, here, your slave is in your hands. Do whatever you want with her. Then Sarai mistreated her so much that she ran away from her. Let me stop there. We're about 10 years removed now, still no kids. God had promised Abram he would have a son. God had promised Abram he would have descendants like the stars. God had promised Abram this great nation, and yet to this point, no kids. And it's not difficult to see where Sarai puts the blame, is it? Verse 2, since the Lord has prevented me, now before we judge her, um, there are certainly people in this room who can attest to this fact. Infertility is a difficult experience to live through. It carries with it such, such weight. It can be devastating. It, it, it can control all of your actions and reactions. And that's in today's culture. Now go to their culture. Infertility in, in their culture was almost a death sentence for them as they grew older. If you didn't have any kids, you had no one to care for you in your older years. So, so in, in this period of time, infertility, barrenness was a huge problem, compounded by the fact that Sarai is waiting and waiting for this promised son to come for 10 years. That's 120 months of maybe this is the one, and then it's not. Because this was such a significant cultural issue, 
That's why we find accepted systems of working around the issue of an heir. Last week, we talked about how Abram said to God, maybe Eleazar can be my heir. He's just a servant who lives in the house. And God said, no cheap substitutes. Remember, no Frederick Fair, Disney World, right? Okay. This week, here's the other accepted cultural norm, surrogate parenting. This is completely acceptable and... and, and, and um, right in the eyes of the culture around them to to take a slave that is your property and give them to your husband to be a surrogate mom. Let me be clear. I don't think this has to be said, but just to make sure it is said, just because it is acceptable or it is a common practice in our culture, it doesn't make it any less horrible. Sarah doesn't have any kids, but she has this Slave from Egypt. Well, where did Sarah get a slave from Egypt? It's likely that this slave was part of the settlement package from Pharaoh when he realized that Sarai was actually not Abram's sister. And it says Pharaoh dumped belongings and possessions and goods on Abram and Sarai and got them out of the, the country. It is very likely that perhaps Hagar is part of that that, that, that settlement process that happened. She, she, she is viewed, and, and what that paints a picture of is this, is how she's viewed. She's not viewed as a person. She's just viewed as property. She's not seen as someone who's been created in the image of God. She is simply property. She is as low as you can possibly go on the social status pyramid As a human, she was completely invisible to the people around her. So much so that if Hagar had any children, it didn't matter with whom, if Hagar had any children, those children became the property of Sarai. So even Hagar's own children weren't really hers. Sarai comes and says, okay, I have a a solution to our problem. Take my slave Hagar as a wife, and and maybe perhaps through her I can build these generations that we are supposed to build. And Abram just passively listened. We were doing this uh, as our family devotion this week, talking through the chapter, and I love my wife's commentary on it. Abram's like, okay. You want me to, oh, whatever. I mean, there is such passivity here, you want to reach out and smack the guy. Whatever you say, sure, whatever, let's, let's do this. And, and instead of being a, a leader in this situation, he just receives Sarai's word. Sarai gives Abram her slave as a wife. Again, does Hagar get a vote? Nope. Because as a person, she's invisible. Nobody sees any fear in her. And if they did see it, they didn't care. And as would happen, Hagar gets pregnant. But when Hagar gets pregnant, Hagar starts looking at Sarai in a different way. Because in that moment that Hagar gets pregnant, Sarai is now demoted in the eyes of those around them. 
Sarai is no longer the, the mother of these generations to come because she is still barren. She is still unable to bear children. But, but Hagar now has been elevated uh, in the chain, and now she is viewed as something bigger than, brighter than, better than even Sarai. And it says that she began to hold contempt for her in her heart. The, the, the verbiage that's there uh, actually kind of pictures this, this uh, understanding of the word. Uh, so a slave wasn't supposed to look at their master in the eye. Well, the verbiage that's used here gives heavy inference that Hagar is now staring Sarai down. Sarai goes back to Abram and puts responsibility exactly where it's not. And says to Abram, this is your fault. You're responsible for my suffering. Now, now, Abram, in that moment, would be like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Whose plan was this? Now, that probably wouldn't have been safe to say, but correct. No, 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 no. This wasn't my idea. This is your idea. This was your plan. This is about you. And as you listen to the, the language of Sarai here, it's really a cleaned-up version of everything that she is saying. It is actually, in the literal Hebrew, quite blue. She is speaking very crassly, and it's demonstrating this depth of anger, this depth of despair, this, this hurt, this humiliation. What you're seeing come out of Sarai in this moment is Proverbs thirteen twelve. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. When you have this desire this hope, this dream, this thing that you are certain is going to happen and then suddenly it doesn't happen, what comes out of you is this illness, this sickness, this what she is vomiting on Abram here saying, this is your fault. And Abram does it again. Hey, you know what? She's your slave. Do whatever you want. No, she's not. Did you miss what happened just a little earlier? Verse 3. Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar, her Egyptian slave, and gave her to her husband Abram as a wife for him. But Abram continues to see this woman not as a person, but as an object. Uh, uh, Time-wise, I'll skip that, sorry. Just praying on the moment. <laughs> Sarah, or Sarai, she's not Sarah yet, then mistreats Hagar in, with such contempt, such anger, such bitterness comes out of this woman that a very young, very pregnant woman will take her chances running away through a wilderness desert. Look, look, look with me at verse 7. I'll start at the end of 6. Then Sarai mistreated her so much that she ran away from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring in the wilderness, a spring on the way to Shur. He said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from? Where, where are you going? She replied, I, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. Then the angel said to her, go back to your mistress. Submit to her authority. The angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your offspring, and there will be too many to count. 
The angel of the Lord said to her, you have conceived and will have a son. You will name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your cry of affliction. This man will be like a wild donkey. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him, and he will settle near all of his relatives. So Sarai mistreats Hagar so very much that this young, very pregnant woman decides to take her chances by running away through the wilderness desert, and where she's going, it seems, is she's going home. Now let me attempt to do this technology stuff real quick. Yep, uh-huh, there we go, all right. Nailed it. Okay, good stuff, all right, all right. It's about to get even more complicated. Buckle up, here goes nothing. I'm going to go that and that. Perfect. All right. So here's a map. Thank you. Thank you. Please hold your applause. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So <laughs> here's the map. Uh, the red lines actually are kind of important, but, but this is Abraham's journey to Egypt. You see over, what am I doing? I got this right here. Uh, you see Abram's journey. Oh, boy. Abram's journey. Hey, it's me. Okay, so. <laughs> that, that's where, where, where they went to when Abram lied about Sarai being his sister, and then Pharaoh found out, and then you notice Abram and Sarai went, oh, we're out of here, and they journeyed all the way up that way, which I've now broken it, so I don't even know why I try to do these things. Here it goes. Whew. That's where they're living, roughly. Hebron. Sarai mistreats Hagar so very much that she takes off towards, and we're told in our text, towards the wilderness of Shur. She is found here. That's where the well is that she's found at. So where do you think Hagar's going? This invisible woman's trying to get home. She's never been seen before. She's never been heard before. She's property. She, she, she's either given to somebody as a spoil of war, or she's an incubator for somebody's promised child. Then she is completely mistreated, so much so that this young, very pregnant woman, I say very pregnant because when the angel of the Lord appears in verse 11 and says, you have conceived and will have a son, that seems like a no-brainer. But what he's saying is, you're going to have a kid soon. And here you are on this journey. She hadn't quite made it here to the wilderness of Shur. The wilderness of Shur is called the wall. That's what Shur means, the wall. It is a place where the desert extends in every possible direction. There's absolutely no water, no way to care for yourself. And here is this extremely pregnant woman traveling alone. Unheard of. But all she knows is it's got to be better than what she's putting up with Sarai. She gets stopped after traveling almost 100 miles. She sits at this well. Probably many believe that this is the last um, well that she could have found water at before she headed into the desert wilderness. And as she's sitting at that well, God shows up. And you see what he says? Verse 8, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Hagar, hey, <laughs> how many other people have used her name to this point? Not even one. 
Sarai never used it. Abram never used it. But God knows it. And here is this lonesome, lonely, hurting, grieving, abused woman sitting by the well, and God shows up and speaks her name. She, she receives the same one-on-one -on -one kind of attention that Abram received as God spoke to Abram. Here is this woman who is not an Israelite. She is a little slave girl, and God knows her name. And he looks at her situation, and, and you expect, I mean, if you're, you're reading through the story, you kind of expect, okay, God comes down, and he says, where have you come from, and where are you going? She's like, I left because Sarai was mistreating me. And God says, I'll get her. But instead, God says, okay, Go back. What? Go back. Why would God tell Hagar to go back? Because God is intervening so that this woman has some chance of survival. See, at best, she's a fugitive her entire life. Likely, she dies on this journey that she's embarking on at worst, she's killed. So God says, go back. And you actually, it's funny, this stood out to me just at the end of this week. As I'm reading through it, uh, as staff was reading through it this week, it was like, man, it, uh, the, the author uses the phrase, the angel of the Lord said, over and over and over again. I believe what's happening here is God himself is answering the concerns that are rising up in Hagar every time he speaks to her. She's like, yeah, but, and then he speaks again to, to calm her fears. Look, look how he does this. Look, um, I'm on verse Nine, go back to your mistress and submit to your authority. Okay, hold on. If I go back, I'm going to be killed. Then the angel of the Lord said, I will greatly multiply your offspring and they will be too many to count. So, so don't worry, I've got you covered. You will not be killed. You are going to have a, a, an offspring. You are going to have descendants. I've got you. And then you're almost like, well, okay, that's great. But what about this baby that I'm carrying? Then the angel of the Lord said to her, okay, you've conceived and you're going to have a son. You're going to name him Ishmael, meaning God hears. Because the Lord has heard your cry of affliction. God says, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to take care of both you and your son. And then he does what no parent actually wants. Although every parent would probably lie when their child is first born and say, I would love to have somebody sit down and look at me and go, I can tell you everything that's going to happen in the life of your child. No parent actually wants that, or you would leave your child at the hospital. <laughs> Amen? All right, I'm not crazy, cool, all right, I love you kids. Um, so, I would have picked you up by now. Um, here, here's the angel saying, okay, you need to understand, this is your boy, verse 12. He is going to be like a wild donkey. Oh, great. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> and he will settle near all his relatives. Let me walk through those and explain those. First, you've got to understand that when she hears this description, she's not discouraged. Let, let, me, let me go ahead. Let me read verse 13. Look at 13. When she hears this description, verse 13. So then, her response to hearing this description of her son is she named the Lord who spoke to her, You are El Roi. Where she said, in this place, have I, have I actually seen the one who sees me? 
And that's why the well is called Beer Lachai Roai. It's between Kedesh and Bered. So Hagar gave birth to Abram's son. Abram named his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. So her response to this description of her son is not like, oh no. It's, you see me. You see me. You understand the fear in my heart. And in this, this, this prophecy that you give me about what this child is going to be like, you have actually seen me and heard me and understand my fears and my concerns. When she heard that he was going to be like a wild donkey, which certainly seems like an insult to us, she would have heard, no, no, this young man is able to, to, to survive, to thrive alone in the desert. And there, there, there's no one going to dominate him. He's going to be at odds with everybody around him. That could have been discouraging too, but what Hagar hears instead is this kid's not going to be a slave like I am. He's going to be aggressive. He's going to be in charge. And in the last phrase, there's a lot of different uh, uh, translations of that phrase because it's a little archaic in the Hebrew, and, and the word can mean a number of different things depending on just one little tiny dash or dot, which is kind of fascinating. Some translations say he will be against every one of his relatives. Some say he will settle near his relatives. He will settle to the east of his relatives. That word can be any of those, and I believe contextually that the best understanding of this last phrase and the, uh, and the one that actually brought Hagar continued encouragement is that, listen, this, this one, Ishmael, he's going to have a people that he calls his own. He's going to settle with his family. That's something Hagar didn't have. You get to chapter 25, the death of Ishmael, and what the commentary that's given there actually clarifies this as well and says that when he died, he was living near his relatives. What God says to Hagar is, it is not always going to be easy, but I got him, and I will take care of him. And she names the Lord El Roy or El Roi, which means God sees, not only does God hear her concern and act on her behalf, but he, he sees her, he knows her, he values her. And as a slave, that didn't exist. So she heads back to Abram and Sarai, and for time's sake, I'll tell you the story that's found in chapter 21 really quick. She heads back to Abram and Sarai, and she has the baby Ishmael, and Abram and Sarai have their firstborn son Isaac about 13 years later. Uh, and now the story turns into this afternoon talk show thing. You got two half-brothers, right? So, so follow this, right? Two half-brothers, both can make the claim that they're firstborn. You got Sarah, the mother of one of the half-brothers, and then Hagar, the, the, the mother of the other uh, uh, boy, and they despise each other. Oh yeah, and Sarah and Hagar are both married to the same guy. So that guy, Abram, the, the father of both boys, is the husband of both women. He's caught in the middle. All you need to do is throw a few chairs and a couple of curse words. you got Jerry Springer. I mean, this whole thing is just like, ah! And the conflict arises again. Um, Ishmael mocks little Isaac when he's just a wee little lad. And, and, and Sarah's had enough and goes to Abram and says, get, get Hagar, get Ishmael, get him out of my house. And Abraham's concerned because we are told, actually we're told in, in chapter 17 as well, that Abraham loves his son Ishmael. And, and, and he's, he's, what am I supposed to do? And God says, send them away, I've got them. I've got them. And as they 
as they go, as Hagar and Ishmael, who is now a teenager, as they leave, they head out again into the wilderness. But this time there's no well. And after many days, they are both about to die. Hagar, because she's a mom, doesn't matter how big this kid is, how old this kid is, how grumpy this kid may be, it's still my kid. I cannot bear to sit by and watch him die. And so she carries his almost lifeless body and puts him beneath a bush and she leaves so that she does not watch the moment he dies. And she stands a ways off and she cries and he cries and God shows up again and says, I hear you. I made a promise to you. What troubles you? Don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. I've got you. And then God opens the eyes of Hagar. And she sees a well of water. And she runs to it and gets her son a drink, saving his life. Guys, you've got to understand that even the most invisible people in our world matter to God. The single pregnant, the oppressed, the unborn, the abused, the foreigner, the most invisible people are seen by God. God hears, God sees, and God acts on behalf of the outcasts, the castaways, and those who feel invisible. This, this invisible slave girl named Hagar would be the first woman who is visited by a divine messenger. She would be the first woman to have God call her by name. She would be the first woman to see and have a conversation with God. She would be the first woman to be given the promise of descendants. In this moment, the invisible, outcast, abused young lady named Hagar ceased to be a slave and became an heir of the promise of God. The God who knows every star by name, who counts every hair on our head, who knows the number of grains of sand on the beach, noticed a little slave girl. She was excited about it. How much more excited should we be How much more excited should we be? God hears you. God sees you. God has acted on your behalf. See, God takes our misery and our suffering and our sinfulness so very seriously that he was willing to take it on himself. God hears Ishmael. God sees El Roi. God acts Emmanuel. God showed up and is with us, those who are most undeserving. How do you feel invisible? Why do you feel invisible? Is it because you're wrestling through depression? 
Why do you feel invisible? Is it because you're lonely? Why do you feel invisible? Is it because you've been abused? God hears you. He knows your suffering. He sees you. You're not going to escape from his grasp. God showed up for you. When that baby was born in that manger, what God demonstrated for us is that we're not invisible anymore. We're not in slavery anymore. We're not a person whose name has been forgotten. We are children of the Most High God. Father, thank you for the precious gift you've given us in Jesus Christ. Thank you that you hear us and see us. Thank you that we aren't alone. That we aren't trying to figure this out without anyone else. Thank you that it's not up to us to earn or gain our acceptance in your eyes. That it's not up to us to be righteous enough to be accepted by you. Thank you that you have accepted us through the finished work of Christ and Christ alone. Thank you for the story of this young girl, Hagar. Thank you that we get to see how loving you actually are how gracious you actually are, how involved you actually are. Father, I pray for the one who is sitting here this morning who who is wrestling with, if you even know their name, God, would they see you clearly? Would they recognize the fact that just as you appeared to this little slave girl at a well, that, Father, you are just as active today. You are here with us right now, and you are calling that person's name. May they hear it. May they hear you call their name so that in turn they would call yours. God, I pray all of us would understand what it means to be known by God. Thank you. Thank you that we aren't invisible. Thank you that our lives have so much more meaning. I pray we would wrestle with that and understand it in a new, appropriate, right way. God, may we worship you with everything that we have. It's in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.